Welcome. We're glad you're here with us this morning. If you are one of the old regulars, well, then welcome to you as well. I'm glad you're here. Everybody doing okay this morning? That was pathetic. <clears throat> Jeff Perry is doing okay. That, that makes it better. I like it. All right. Yeah, we're going to continue on with our, uh, with our series that we started uh, last week about uh, loving and building the scriptures into our life. Uh, so far, Justin, he, uh, he kicked it off last Saturday night. I, I started a little bit in on it last Sunday morning. Andrea Michael preached an incredible message uh, last night. I mean, it's, you really need to go to the uh, audio archive and, and capture it. It was so good. I hate actually being the guy who has to go after it, honestly, this morning. It really stinks. But if you want to uh, open, up your, open up your Bibles, and I hope you have one, to, uh, to Luke chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to look at a few, a few verses in Luke this morning, and uh, we're going to try to build on what we've already, already started here a little bit. Before we get into uh, the, the scripture this morning, I do want to tell you, I, I really love, I love, I love New Year, and I, I love, I love, uh, I love this, this time on the calendar because it's like a time of reflection to look back over the last year, and to look and see where God was working, and to, to gather our focus again. Uh, one of the things I also love about New Year is it's also an opportunity to say, God, where, where are you going to be working? God, what do you... What do you want for my life in the coming year? How, where do you want me to put my energies? I think it's really important that we spend some time focusing our heart that way because everyone in here only has 24 hours a day. We've only got, we've only got, a, we've got limited resources. We've got, we've got only so much energy. We've only got so much time. And it's really important to say, God, how can I, how can I maximize my time? How can I make sure that I hit, hit my mark? And so I spend, I spend considerable time at pretty much the whole month of January and uh, in, in December even. Uh, December reflecting, and then especially in January, just beginning to look forward and say, God, what is, it, what is it you have for me? What is it you have for my family? What is it you have for our church? God, where do you want me to invest my, my limited time, energy, money, heart, emotional strength? Where do you want me to put that? And um, I try to do that every year for the church, and usually the Lord speaks to me, and, and he, he spoke to me this year, but he, it, it was sort of strange. He just, he just spoke to me a couple things, and one of the things that he, he spoke to me, by far the strongest, was that this is a year for the vineyard, our church here, to really invest ourselves in the scripture again. To really say, you know, now more than ever, I want to be a student of the Bible. Not just so I can gather more information, not so that I can be like the smartest Bible guy in the world, but so that I can, so that my heart can be renewed, and so that my mind can be renewed. I mean, one of the places that we looked at in the scripture last week was, uh, was Hebrews chapter 4, which talks about the fact that the Word of God is living and active. You know, if you want to have life in your life, there's, there's a certain location that you have to go to. And, and the best place to go to when it comes to building life into your life is to go to the Scriptures. And so that's one of the things I feel like the Lord has impressed upon me uh, that's really important for us this year. We don't want to just be people who have heard about the Bible. We don't want to be people who are just satisfied with someone else knowing the Scriptures. We want to be people who have a hunger for our own lives so we can build life into our own life. Um, all right, let's look, at some, um, let's look at some of the scriptures here. In Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 13 verses, okay? This is about, the, your, your Bible probably says, the temptation of Jesus or something like that. All right, here we go. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 
He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. It is written, Jesus answered, Man does not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's just, um, let's just pray and ask the Lord to settle the room and settle our hearts and put us in a position to hear the Spirit. Father, we love you this morning. Spirit, you're welcome in this room. Spirit, we ask that you would increase your presence in the room even now. Spirit, we ask that you would increase your, our awareness of your presence in the room, even now. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every distraction and every thought that would raise itself up against the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I command it to sit down this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Yeah, so this is a pretty famous, uh, pretty famous scripture. Most of us have probably heard it before. Uh, this is the temptation of Jesus. Jesus is out in the wilderness, and he runs into the devil. And um, I like thinking about this. It, it's for, for me, for, for whatever reason, it's, it's cinematic. It, it feels like, you know, it's, it's been in all the Jesus movies, and it should be. But it's, it's such a movie moment, you know. Jesus is about to kick off his ministry, and the first person he runs into is the devil, you know. Um, so, uh, but this morning there's, there's a, there's a real, there's a, a few things that I want to pull out of the, pull out of here, uh, for us about the nature of the scripture in our life and especially the nature of the scripture in our daily life. Uh, the first thing I want, I want to point out is this. How many of you noticed that Jesus, he's, he's, let me set this in context a little bit. Luke chapter four begins with Jesus full of the Holy Spirit going into the wilderness there he meets the devil. Before that happens, though, Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, okay? Shows up, John the Baptist is baptizing people. Jesus shows up and gets baptized by John. While he's being baptized, heavens are opened up. Spirit comes down upon him in the form of a dove. It doesn't just come down upon him and stay for a little while, but Scripture points out that it comes down upon him and remains. He has, this, he has this moment. The heavens are opened up. Spirit comes down and remains upon him. Not only that, but there's a voice of heaven and it speaks out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you imagine? Did that happen to anybody on their, your baptism day? It, it actually did. You just might not have heard it. That's part of, what, that's part of the point of baptism. It's, to, it's, to, it's, it's the culmination of coming into a, a son and daughter relationship with the father. It's, it's the place where we can hear him speak his affection and his affirmation over our life. 
So heavens are opened up, Spirit comes down, the Father speaks a word of affirmation over Jesus. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit leads him out into the desert where he runs into the devil. And, and one of the first things I want to point out before we get much deeper is this, and it's, it's sort of a recurring theme that's been happening here at the Vineyard for the last three or four weeks, is that sometimes you can do everything right and end up in the desert with the devil, you know? This is a recurring theme through the scripture. Uh, we looked at this a few, a few weeks ago when, when I was talking out of, out of Psalm 95, which is a reference back to the Exodus story. Sometimes you do everything right and you end up in the desert of sin. Uh, sometimes you do everything right. Sometimes there's Holy Spirit upon your life. Sometimes you're being obedient to the Father. Sometimes the Father is speaking His affection to you. And the next thing you know, you're in the desert with the devil. So sometimes you can't blame everything on the devil. Sometimes it's just part of life. We don't go looking for tough times. They just will fight. It's built into the matrix, you know? And because of that, and because of that, it's one of the main reasons that we need to build into our life the life of the Scripture. So here's what we've got. Jesus baptized, Holy Spirit on him and remains. Now he's in the desert with the devil. And what is, how does Jesus interact with the devil? The devil keeps coming. He keeps, he keeps interacting with Jesus. He begins to tempt Jesus once, twice, three times. And what's Jesus' response every time? The Scripture. Every single time, Jesus responds with the Scripture. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us if, we were, if we were honest about it, and especially when we take inventory of how we, how we feel about Jesus, we would assume that when Jesus walked into the desert, that the devil wouldn't come after him. But if he did come after him, that Jesus would like throw his Jesus fireball at him, and he would exterminate the devil, and then it would all be over, right? He does something way more low-key than that at a certain level, way, way, less, way less super spiritual. He just comes back at the devil with the Scripture. So how, one of the main things I want to point out this morning is, is that the Scripture is for daily life. Like sometimes you're just going to be living life and you're going to end up in the desert with the devil, and it's really important at that moment that we've built into our lives the life of the Scripture. Without the life of the Scripture, what would Jesus' response have been? Who knows? couple things I want to draw out for us. Number one is that the scriptures are a sure and steady anchor against temptation. The scriptures are a sure and steady anchor against temptation. They're like gravity boots in a weightless world. This is the way I've been looking at the scriptures. They're like gravity boots in a weightless world. In a world where, where there is no gravity, in a world where, we, where without the scriptures, we would just, we would just, we would just float off. And, and here's how we would float off. We would float off just on our, own, on our own desires. We would just be blown away by our own desires. We'd be like jellyfish in the ocean. Any of you guys ever watch those nature shows and you see the jellyfish? Or you ever been to like one of those really great, muse- uh, not museums, but aquariums where they have the giant tanks of the jellyfish and it's like, you know, they have like the dark background and the, they like the jellyfish and they're pink and they're all beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful when you like frame them and put pink light on them, but really jellyfish are stupid. Jellyfish are just, they're just blown. They're blown by all the ocean currents. They can't make anything happen. Life happens to jellyfish. Life happens to jellyfish. That's the problem with being a jellyfish. Without the scriptures in our life, without, without the gravity of the scriptures, without the, without, the, without the boundaries of the scripture, without the vision that the scripture provides in our life, without the life that comes from the life in the scriptures, we just become jellyfish and we get blown away by the currents of culture and we get blown away by the currents of our own desire and pretty soon 
we're not affecting life, but life is affecting us. Life happens to me. Maybe you're one of these people, um, you find yourself saying things like this, I can't believe that happened to me, you know? You, you, you know, you begin to say that, or maybe one of your best friends it says that a lot of times, kind of protests. Well, yeah, life happens to everyone. And without the anchor of the scripture, we just get blown away. And, and jellyfish are just the dumbest. They don't even have a, you realize the jellyfish don't even have a brain? They have no brain. Zero. They're, they're like just little neurons like connected by tissue. They're, they're, they don't even have like a, a brain. And, and if you watch even two episodes of SpongeBob, you realize that, that it, the, like compared, compared to jellyfish, even SpongeBob and Patrick are intellectual giants. Think about jellyfishing, right? You guys don't have kids. Like, you need some kids, seriously. But the scriptures are a sure and steady anchor against temptation. One of the things I love about the passage that we just read, and I want this week, if you've got a chance, to go back and just review it and begin to meditate on it, is that everybody gets tempted, even the Lord. Everybody gets tempted, even Jesus. And here's what temptation means. It means this for you, and I find great comfort in knowing this. It meant this for Jesus. Temptation means that he thought about it. Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 15 says, We don't have a a high priest who can't relate to us. We've got a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. What that means is that Jesus experienced life just like you experienced life. He experienced life just like I experienced life. The thoughts that have come into my brain, some of the feelings that have come into my heart, he has felt those, he has thought those. Even even sexual temptation, we don't don't really put that on Jesus, do we? We kind of hold that outside. We say, well, Jesus is over here. Like, even, even, even feelings of sexual desire, Jesus had those, and he dealt with them, and he was able to do it without sin. And this is one of the reasons that he was able to do it without sin, is because he had a life in the Scriptures. Life in the Scripture is a sure and steady anchor against a life of being blown away in temptation. And one of the things that we sometimes miss here, I want you to look at verse 2. When sometimes when we look at this passage... Uh, we, we assume that Jesus was tempted three times, right? Well, look at verse 2. How many times was Jesus tempted? Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. What that tells me is that he wasn't tempted three times. He was tempted the entire time. I mean, how many times can you be tempted in a day? Now multiply it times 40. He had an entire season of tempting. All we, got is, all we have in the scriptures right now are the highlights. He endured temptation. One of the things about our Lord is, is, is this, is that he, he laid off his glory. He took off all of his omnipresence. He became located in space and time. He experienced life like you and I did. He experienced the, the struggle and, and the trauma, and he experienced the feelings. He experienced the thoughts, yet without sin, and he didn't have it one or two times. It wasn't as though God planned a few things for him and allowed the devil to come and, okay, son, you passed the test. But it was as though he had, a, he, he had an entire lifetime, and within that life, he had 40 days specifically where he was buffeted by the devil with temptation. Think about your most weak moment. And can I tell you something? It was even more extreme for the Lord Jesus because he never gave in. Jesus knows more about temptation than anyone because he's the guy who, who absorbed temptation Absorbed temptation, absorbed temptation, and then never relented. Never gave in. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus was able to sidestep temptation over and over again is because 
He had a life in the scripture. So scripture is a sure and steady anchor against temptation. So Jesus says, hey, so the, actually the devil says to him, hey, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And one of the things that the devil's getting at is, is he, he's saying this, well, you know, since you're, since you're the son of God, you know, why not do a little something for yourself? That's the essence of it, you know? So the devil appeals to a legitimate desire, right? Isn't that what, isn't that what temptation is all about? The devil appear, appeals to a legitimate desire. And Jesus is able to sidestep and say, no, man doesn't live on bread alone. Jesus, Jesus points out to a higher reality that life is more than just the food that we put in our mouth. It's, it's the life that I get from God. Jesus is saying, for, these, for this time period specifically, but more than that, in my life, there is something more important for food. And it is, it is the nourishment that comes from the Father. It is the nourishment that comes from the Word. There is a kind of sustenance, there's a kind of satisfaction that can only come from the Word. And it's, and it's more than bread. It's more than bread. There's a satisfaction that only comes from encountering the Scripture. Jesus says, man can't live on bread alone. And he doesn't say it in this one, in this version of the temptation, but in others, he goes on to say, he finishes out that Scripture in Deuteronomy. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what has just proceeded from the mouth of God? You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. So the devil comes and he begins to attack Jesus at his identity. He begins to attack Jesus with, with, with thoughts of food. It's like, it's like the Garden of, Eden, Garden of Eden all over again. We've got Adam in the garden and the devil comes out and tempts him with an apple or something, some good looking fruit. And now we've got the second Adam, not in a perfect garden, but in the wild wilderness. And the devil comes and he's like, well, it worked the first time, why don't we offer them food? Right? Because it connects something to us. And Jesus says, no, there's something that's even more satisfying. There's something that's even more nourishing. There's something that's even more essential than a little bit of bread. And it's the words that come from my Father. So the Scriptures, they're an anchor against temptation. Number two, the Scriptures are the perfect partner to the Spirit. Let's look back at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, underlined Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, underlined Spirit. So within one verse, we have two mentions of the Spirit. It's like I already said, sometimes you do everything right and you end up in the desert with the devil. But Jesus had been baptized, the heavens above had been opened to him. And he was completely full of the Holy Spirit and he ends up in the wilderness. Now, one of the things I want to point out here is, is this, is that the Scriptures are a perfect complement to the Spirit. Uh, and this is really important for us, especially here at the Vineyard, because one of the things that we endeavor to be here is we endeavor to be a Spirit people. And what, here's what I mean by a Spirit people. We endeavor to be people who, who look to find what the Spirit is doing. We, we endeavor to be people who find what the Spirit is doing to join that and be a part of it. We want to co-labor with God by the Holy Spirit. And, and so sometimes that looks like praying for the sick. Sometimes that looks like giving prophetic words. Sometimes that looks like baptisms of the Spirit where, where God's love and God's power falls upon a person and perhaps they end up speaking in tongues. Sometimes, sometimes that looks for caring for the poor and needy. Sometimes that, that looks like a hundred things, but really what it's about is it's about we want to be people 
who notice where the Spirit is at work, and we go and join it, and we become co-laborers with it, all right? That's sort of the DNA here at the vineyard. This, this church started by just a few people ga- gathered to pray for a, a couple sick ladies, and it's just, it's just built into the DNA. But one of the things that we can never be, and it would be a real tragedy, is if we became people who were more interested in the work of the Spirit than the everyday life of the Scriptures. They're, they're, they're one they're together. We, we, can't, we can't divide them out. And uh, it's part of what we see in, in the life of Jesus. He was full of the Holy Spirit, yet when the devil came to him, it was the, it was the Scriptures that came out. To, to, divide the, to divide the Spirit from the Scriptures is to, like, take wings off a bird. I mean, you, you need both. It's not either or, it's both and. Uh, and when, when, when the, the Father looks at this church, one of the things that, that I hope that he sees is I hope that he sees that we're a bird with two wings. I hope that we have... We have the word wing, and we've got the spirit wing over here. One of my fears is that we would be people who are like those, those beautiful bald eagles at the zoo. And, you know, you go over and you take your pictures with it, and you look at it, and it's like so cool, and then it like, it hops around and has no wing over here. You guys seen that one? Yeah, that's the, that's the bird that happens if we, if we absorb the, if we absorb only, if we only absorb the dramatic side of the spirit into our life, if we only endeavor to lay hold of, of the more, of the more dramatic work of the Spirit apart from the everyday, normal, daily work of the Scriptures, the, the everyday, normal, daily nourishment of the Scriptures, we end up being that bald eagle who's so cute until he turns around he's got half a wing and he can't fly anymore. Likewise, to be the kind of people who only gather the Word with no intention of going out and seeing the things in it actually happen, same bird, just the other wing. Not either or, it's both and. Not either or, both and. Who in here wants to, who in here wants to prophesy more? Then we should read the prophets. Who in, here wants to, who in here wants to heal more? Then we should become acquainted with the healer who is in the scriptures every single day. Because the scriptures are a baseline for, for my experience in life. And not just some of my experiences in life, but they're the baseline for all my experiences in life. We, we need baselines. We need, um, especially me, I, I don't know about you, but I need things that I can judge my life against. I, I, need, I need a standard that I can look at and judge my life against. And the scriptures are a perfect baseline for us to absorb and check all of our life against. Um, let, me, let me show you a couple ways. One of the ways is this. We talked a little bit about it last week. But, but without the scriptures, I would never know. I would never know that God is a healing, saving, delivering, kind, and compassionate God who goes to people in their weakest moments and pulls them out of the pit, sets them on a rock, and doesn't judge them, but gives them of himself, gives them his spirit, and makes them like him. You know? I would never know that apart from an encounter with the Spirit, the Scriptures. I would never know that if it wasn't for the Exodus story, I would never know that God, God hears and he, and he sees the cries of His people in their weakest moment and He comes down to rescue them. I would never know that we had a rescuing God. You know, uh, one of the things that Andrea pointed out last night, really strong along this line, is that, you know, without the Scriptures in our life, we're just, we're just left to, to superstition and stories and this nebulous world and so the scriptures are a baseline for my life in every direction not only that but the scriptures 
The scriptures show me what's possible in life. I would never know that God doesn't just intend for us to go to work, eat some lunch, work another four hours, come home, mow the grass, tuck the kids in, go to sleep, get up and do it all over again. I would never know that there was more to life than that. I would never know that I needed healing. But not only that, I would never know that after I'm healed that I'm actually able to be a healer apart from the scriptures. I would never know that the impossible is actually quite possible apart from the scriptures. So the scriptures are a baseline in our life. The scriptures are an anchor against temptation. The scriptures are a baseline for all of our experiences in life. Not only that, but the scriptures are illumination and they're light. And here's what I want you to see when we look at Jesus' three temptations this, this morning, real quickly, is I want you to notice, and this is what I mean by illumination, because they illuminate, they illuminate all the players in life. Okay? We, and, and here's one of the things that you need to realize, is that when you're living life, things are oftentimes actually more complicated than it looks. Maybe you figured that out by now. And it needs illumination. We need, we need the illumination that comes from the wisdom of God. We need the illumination that comes from the revelation of God. We need the, and it, that only comes from one place, and it's located in the Scriptures. Here's what I mean. So Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Imagine this. You're the Son of God. You've been baptized. Father has opened up heavens. Spirit has come down. Everyone can see it. It looked like a dove. Not only that, but there's a voice, a voice that perhaps lots of people heard. You would, would your heart not be full? It would be sort of an overflowing moment, right? And so now the next moment, you're in the desert, and you're with the devil, and he's beginning to tempt you in, the, in, the, in your weakest spots. Not, I mean, I, I, the weakest is not even the right word, but it's just he's looking for that most vulnerable spot. Your heart is so full. And you begin to wonder, what is happening? Can I tell you something? Not all your thoughts are your own. And not all your thoughts are from God. Some of them are from the devil. And without, without a history in the scriptures, we're unable to decide or decipher which thoughts are mine, which thoughts are from God, and which thoughts are from the devil. See, every one of Jesus' temptations, those weren't just temptations of the flesh. Those were demonically inspired and demonically influenced temptation from the devil. Scripturally speaking, temptation comes from two places. The devil and my own evil heart. James chapter 1, 13 and 14 says, we're tempted. Oh, man. It's very good. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. See, temptation comes from two places. It comes from my own evil heart, and it comes from the devil. And without, without an encounter with the Scriptures, and I'm not talking about one or two, but I'm talking about a daily, everyday encounter with the Scriptures, I'm left, I'm lost in a labyrinth wondering, what is me, what is God, and what is the devil? But the more that I come into contact with the scriptures, the more I learn the tone of his voice. The more I learn who God is, the more I learn his nature. The more I learn that he's kind and he's compassionate and that he's absolutely holy. To even, to even catch a glimpse of him would cause me to come absolutely apart. One of the things that we pray all the time around here is, God, would you come and visit us? And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you from what I can gather from the scriptures, one of the reasons that we don't oftentimes experience more of the manifest presence of God is very simple, because if he were to come, we would all fall down afraid. See, so he's, he's processing us through life to be able to handle more of who he is. And this comes by an encounter with the scriptures. We begin, we get illumination, we get illumination, we get illumination. We get illumination on what is my evil heart, we get illumination on what is 
demonically inspired influence of the devil and we get in, in, in illumination on what is from the Father, what's his good intention. And when we have a daily encounter with the scriptures, one of the things we do is we begin to learn the, the nuances of who God is. We begin to learn the nuances of who he is right down to the tone and the timbre of his voice. You know, when my wife calls me on the phone, I don't have to see on the caller ID who it is. I can just know who it is by the sound of her voice. And it's because we've spent 20 years together. You know, if you guys call me, I have no idea who it is apart from the caller ID. It's the learning of the tone of his voice. And so the devil comes to Jesus, and it's, and it's, it's demonic temptation. And he says, hey, why don't you just bow down and worship me? By extension, one of the things the devil is saying, why don't you just avoid the cross and take a shortcut? I'll give you everything. You don't have to suffer. Avoid the cross. Take a shortcut. Jesus says, no. No, that's not the way it works. And the reason, he, the reason he's able to come directly back at the, at, the, at, the, at the devil is because he's had an encounter with the scriptures. And he looks at him and he says, look, it's written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him. Not only that, right along this line, I want to, I want to point this out. When the devil comes to Jesus and says, hey, why don't you bow down and worship me? And Jesus says, no, worship the Lord your God only and serve him. The devil is basically saying, hey, why don't you take a shortcut? And, and I think Jesus' response of no is at two levels. Number one, it's a no, I will not worship the, the devil. No, I won't, you know, it's, it, this, is, this is absolutely forbidden. But it's actually more than that. It, Jesus is saying no to shortcuts because the scripture has illuminated the trajectory of his life. Okay? The scripture has illuminated the trajectory of his life. When we, have, when we spend time in the scriptures regularly, one of the things we end up finding out is we end up finding out who we are. We end up finding out who we are and what we're called to and where we're supposed to go. And you know what? I, this, is, this is firmly what I believe happened in the moment. The devil comes to, to Jesus and says, hey, why don't we just make this shorter and a lot less painful for you? Why don't you just go ahead and bow down to me? I'll give you the planet and you worship me. It's quicker. It's easier. There's less blood. You don't have to go to the cross. Okay? And this is what I think. Jesus' Jesus' objection isn't just, no, I'm not going to worship you because God says not to worship you. But he, he's also objecting to the fact that Satan is trying to influence him with a shortcut in life that takes him off of his trajectory. And the trajectory for the Son of God was, he must suffer. I believe that Jesus had Isaiah chapter 53 in mind. You can put it up, Seth. This is what I, in that moment, I think that Jesus had this in mind. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he, yet, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. 
after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. See, I, I think that Jesus, at this point when he had encountered the devil, he had also encountered the scripture to the point that he had an awareness of his life trajectory. That his life trajectory wasn't that I will choose the easy way out and the shortcut every time. It was no, I will choose the long road of suffering that my father has laid out for me. And did you guys notice that in this, there is death, burial, and resurrection in the scripture. And I believe that Jesus, even in this moment, had already, had already laid hope of the hope of resurrection. See, when we, when, we, when we absorb the scriptures into our life, it's as though by the Spirit and in almost invisibly, the hand of the Father is beginning to set our life trajectory. He's beginning to point us in the direction that we should go. And without a life of the scriptures, we can be talked into other ways. So they illuminate. They set our trajectory. Because of that, we need a deep life. We need a deep life. Yeah, the scriptures, they work like a filter. Outlining for us what is from God, what is just from me, and what is from the devil. Look at that last temptation where the, where the devil comes to him. He says, you know, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then the devil ends up even quoting the scripture to him. Okay? You know, a lot of times we have this concept of the devil that the devil won't tell a lie, that, that the devil only tells lies. So actually, sometimes he just tells the truth. Sometimes he'll even use the scripture. And, and I've often marveled over the fact that when the devil decided to use scripture against the Lord, he used Psalm 91. I mean, is there a more incredible scripture in all of the word of God? It's one of the mountain peaks in the word of God. And I think... I think, it was, I think it was an attack at, at, at Jesus. I also think it was an attack at the word of God. Je- the devil knew this is, like, this is like one of the best points in all of the scripture. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to use it against him. But it was Jesus' daily influence of the scripture that would, allowed him to be able to rightly divide. No, this is not me. This is not my father. This is, in fact, the devil. And, and uh, here's what I want you to see in this is that the devil comes to Jesus and says, hey, let me take you up to the highest peak and I'll just throw yourself off. I want you to understand something here, and this is kind of a big deal. Realize that the devil couldn't take Jesus up and throw him off. That demonic oppression needs agreement, okay? Demonic oppression needs agreement. And this is why we need the filter, and this is why we need the illumination of the Scripture in our life, because the only way that Jesus would have been flung off of that temple is if Jesus had walked to the top and threw himself off. The devil couldn't make him do it. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Likewise, the Spirit of God requires cooperation. It isn't just the Spirit that leads to death that needs cooperation. It isn't just demonic influence that requires cooperation. It's Holy Spirit requires cooperation. The only way that we're going to be able to cooperate by our will and by our choice with the Father is, is if when we give ourselves daily to the Scripture so that we can have the illumination. What is me? What is God? What is the devil? And we can continually say, God, I choose you. God, I choose you. We get led into paths of life. We get led into paths of 
more spirit encounter. I already said it once, but I want to highlight it again, that when we, when we come daily to the scriptures, we experience God's character, his ways, and by it we, we learn what he's really like all the way down to his tone and timber. Like I was telling you already, I, you know, I, I, know I, I actually know what my wife thinks about something in three seconds. She can speak about something for three seconds, and I instantly know what she thinks about it. If all she said was, uh, she, she wouldn't even have to, like, vocalize a word. She could just, a sound, and I would instantly know what my wife thinks in, total, in totality about whatever we're talking about. And it's because we've, I've experienced her daily for almost 20 years, and I know her all the way down to tone and timber, and I, and I know what that means. I can connect it to, to thoughts of her character. And that's what happens when we encounter the scriptures every day is we, we come into contact with the character of God. We come into contact with his ways, his nature, what he's like, what he sounds like. And we end up learning the tone of the Lord. Uh, there's, a, there's a really fascinating scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 14. And this is when the disciples are out. Jesus has been up on the mountain to pray. And he sends them across the lake. And while they're, while they're going across the lake, by the way, they've just had a huge healing revival. And while they're going across the lake, a storm begins to blow and the seas begin to to rise and they're rowing and they've been rowing all night and they've basically got nowhere they're about two and a half miles out and i read this little thing i don't know if it's true but i like to think that it's true because it's kind of cool i read this thing that sometimes when the water gets really rough on the sea of galilee that the waves can be between eight and ten feet tall like you know like this even though it's just a little lake like this wind can hit it and so imagine that you're in a wooden boat with no motor and it's 12 of you and you're and you're doing this for all, all night, you've only got two and a half miles out and you've got several more miles to go and the waves are eight feet tall dropping you up and down and you're working as hard as you can work and you're getting nowhere, okay? Now imagine this. You see Jesus come walking out on the water, okay? You know what every single one of the disciples thought when they saw Jesus walking on the water? They thought that he was a ghost. When did the disciples recognize that it was Jesus when he came walking on the water? When he spoke to them. As, I'm always fascinated that, by that. When they saw him, they thought it's a ghost. But when they heard him speak, they knew it was him. He says, it's I, don't be afraid. And from that moment on, Peter stands up and is like, if it's you, then bring me out, you know? It speaks to, it speaks to an intimacy with the Lord. It speaks to with a, a way of knowing. It, there's, a, there's a way of knowing God. And here's the, here's the deal. The reason that the disciples thought that it was a ghost out on the water is because... When they saw Jesus on the water, what they saw was the impossible, right? It's not possible for people to walk on water, especially at night and especially in eight-foot waves. That is not possible. It must be a ghost. Yet when Jesus speaks, oh, it must be him. It must be him. What's the point? Well, the point is this, that sometimes, sometimes what God's up to looks like our worst nightmare if all we're doing is looking at it. We, we need the sound of his voice, and it comes from the scripture. Like, when we begin to build the scriptures into our daily life, when it becomes a daily part of our routine, when the illumination of God, who he is, his nature, his tone, his timber, when we begin to learn his voice, one of the things that you'll find out is this. You'll find out that God is everywhere, and he's always working sometimes in really strange places what you end up finding out is a lot of times what you thought was the devil was actually jesus 
A lot of times what you may end up finding out is that experience that you had four years ago that you thought, you thought was a ghost was actually the Lord at work. And it's because it comes by encountering him over and over and over again. Uh, I'll give you just one example. Uh, when I, I forget, it was one of my birthdays. Typically for my birthday, my brother-in-law, Eric, will, um, will send me a little, little package in the mail, and it usually has, like, new music and concert tickets. And this, he's been doing this for me for years, and he usually takes me to a really great show, like an impossible show that no one can get into, really great seats. He takes me. And in one particular year, uh, Eric sent me my birthday present, and it was, it was tickets to go see U2 in Chicago at the United Center. Not a bad gig, you know? And we had great seats, like Bono, you know? It was awesome. So I'm with one of my best friends, and we're in Chicago. It's a great city. We've run around town all day long. We go to see the show, and about halfway through the show, Eric looks at me and goes, I think Jesus just showed up in the room. And I looked at him, and I went, you're absolutely right. And I look, and then I, you do one of those things. I don't know if you've ever, I love being in big crowds. You, you know, your focus is so, you know, trained to whatever's going on on the stage that you sort of lose sight of what's happening around you. I just kind of broke away for a moment. I, I did one of these, you know. It's like 50,000 people in the room. And everyone has their hands up shouting Yahweh. Okay? At a rock show in Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, God's in the room. You know? But part of the reason that Eric was so quick to be able to pick up on it is because he has spent time in the scriptures his entire life and he knows that the spirit will oftentimes show up in places that we don't think that he should be or could be and there's a there's a there's a familiarity that happens and it, and it goes beyond just words on a page it works into everyday life it's the illumination of the scriptures we can go see a concert bono can run around and do high kicks off of the balcony and somehow our hearts became strangely aware that the lord jesus christ showed up to receive worship from people who didn't even know they had turned to him. Go figure that one out, right? So we need the baseline of the scriptures to... illuminate what God is like and what he's saying and how he speaks and open wide our hearts. Last thing. We need the scriptures because they're a weapon. If you, if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul's talking about the armor of God, there's only one offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. I mean, it, you know, it's the only, it's our offensive weapon. It isn't merely defense against the devil. It's actually offense. You understand that when Jesus began to respond to the devil, by using the scriptures, you, you understand that the devil ran away, right? It wasn't just defensive like, like this. It was, it was as though the sword of God had come into the moment and the devil's like, okay, I'm out, you know? And he looked for another time. He's like, I'm not going to win here. It isn't just a defensive weapon. It's, it's offense. Now, here's the really great thing. This is my favorite part of, of this whole little little section of the scripture is that when jesus is alone in the desert hungry being tempted and the devil comes to him 
his response to the devil was not playing the God card. Okay? Jesus never played the God card. In fact, you can read the whole scripture. He never, ever, ever plays the God card. He never says, well, devil, it's great that you came out, but of course you know I'm the son of God. Get away from me. He never plays that card. What what does Jesus do? He uses the scripture, which is available to every single person in the room. He didn't pull out his secret God sword that no one has except for him, the hidden from all time God sword, and strike the devil with it that no one can carry, no one can hold, and in fact, no one knows where it is. No. He grabbed the scripture that's perfectly available to everyone in the room at the moment. He didn't, he didn't play anything you can do, I can do better, put on a, a, hot, a top hat and some tap shoes with the devil, you know? He didn't do it. He didn't say, he didn't get into a one-up game with the devil because he was the son of God. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get into a, my dad can beat up your dad. No, he just, he used the scripture which is readily available to every single person in the room. He didn't shoot a Jesus fireball at him. He just used the scripture. You realize that in this moment that Jesus had taken off all his omnis. We don't often think like that. Jesus had taken off all his omnis. His omnipresence. His, you know, all of his omnis. He'd taken them all off. His omnipower, his all-knowing. He, he, he took it off and so he experienced life like us. And so you might be thinking, well... How did Jesus know the scriptures so well? You know, some of you might be thinking, well, of course he knew the scriptures. He's, he's the son of God and he wrote them, right? And when he, when he came out of his mom, he, he, when he was two years old, he was like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love. <laughs> it, it didn't work that way. You know, when he was two years old, you know how much the, the scripture that Jesus knew? None. Probably None. Actually, he probably knew one thing. He probably knew, he probably knew Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God. He probably knew the Shema. Other than that, he didn't know anything else. When he was two, he, pro- when he, was two, he didn't even know he was the son of God. Except that maybe his mom and dad had told him. What's the point here? The point here is that Jesus had applied himself, just like you and I can apply ourselves, and had built a reservoir that would stand under incredible pressure. So how did Jesus learn it? Well, one of the ways that Jesus learned it is he had really good parents. And all three of the scriptures that Jesus came back to the devil with, they're really close together. He quotes, he quotes three scriptures to the devil, and two of them are out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and one of them is out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it's a really, that's a really important section of scripture, not just for Jews, but for, for the history of, of the church, this little section has been a really big deal. And I want to I read a section of, of Scripture to you from, uh, from Deuteronomy. If you want to um, put it up, uh, 4 through 9. Oh, yeah, you're going to go one verse at a time. I'm with you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. 
talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Stop. That's okay. Cool. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. What's the Lord saying? He's saying, take my commandments, take my words, and put them into your life. And I think that Jesus' mom and dad, I think Mary and Joseph, they knew, they absolutely knew this scripture, and they did just that. And so Jesus at two, he's sitting at the dinner table with his mom and his dad, and maybe there's a little brother who's, who's just come, and he's sitting in the, in the table next to him. And, and Joseph looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, let me tell you something. And Jesus says, what, Dad? And he says, let me tell you about the time that we used to be slaves in Egypt. And he would tell him the Exodus story. That's what God says. He says, don't forget my story. Take the commands that I've given you and talk about it. You notice how God said in verse 7, I want you to just make it a daily part of your life. Talk about it when you're walking down the road. Talk about it when you're at home. I think that Mary and Joseph actually did that. And it awakened in Jesus a hunger for God's word that started when he was very young and he ran with for the rest of his life. He didn't play the God card. He played the application card, the absorption card, the feed me because I'm hungry card. That real life isn't just the bread that's on my mom's table, it's the words that come from my father's mouth. Jesus didn't get out in the desert with the devil and do a Carmen interpretation. He didn't say, let's put on the music. I'll set up a fake boxing ring. For the first couple rounds, I'll let you hit me. It'll look really bad, but then at the end, devil, I have to hit you and knock you out, okay? He didn't do that, no. He just he used the scriptures that were readily available to him and to you and I. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, let's do this. If you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up.